and welcome to Shoshi Talks About Queer Media for Class. I'm your host, Shoshi Gordon. Today we're going to be examining how queer coming-of-age love stories are depicted in Brazilian media. I'll be looking at two movies. Please excuse my mispronunciation of these names. Aluizo Abranches from Beginning to End and Daniel Rivera's The Way He Looks and analyzing what they have to say about how Brazilians view queerness, identity, desire, and masculinity. So, let me tell you a little bit about these movies. From Beginning to End is about two brothers, Tomas and Francisco. Francisco is five years older than Tomas. The story follows their childhood, in which they live with their mother and Tomas's father. It tracks their close friendship and intimacy as five and 11-year-old children, and follows how they deal with the death of Francisco's father. Then it flashes forward to adulthood when their mother has also died and examines how their close platonic intimacy has blossomed into a romantic and sexual relationship, which is tested when Francisco goes to Russia to train for the Olympics. Just a quick correction to make here. I meant to say that Tomas goes to Russia to train, not Francisco. The Way He Looks follows the story of Leonardo, a blind high schooler, and his friend Giovanna. One day, a new kid, Gabrielle, comes to school and befriends them. The story follows he and Leo's romance, as well as Leo's quest for independence and interest in studying abroad. Both of these films deal with sexuality, love, and coming of age. And there are two themes that have been identified across both of them. A lack of concern with labels, specifically with labeling their sexual identity, and how they construct masculinity in relation to queerness. Both of the films present the couples through the lens of desire. They're not concerned with like the mechanics of the relationship or labeling it, but rather the desire within each of um, the young men. In the way he looks, we see this through the camera's close-up on small touches, the classic YA um, moments of intimacy with them lying on a field, riding a bike together, dancing, and then more explicit expressions of desire through Leo masturbating while wearing Gabrielle's sweatshirt and Gabrielle's erection in the shower. In the way he looks, desire expressed more through their constant need to be intimate and close. As children, uh, the two boys' intimacy is portrayed platonically through depictions of them cuddling, play fighting, bathing together, um, and with the older brother defending his younger brother in a variety of scenarios. As adults, we see um, their desire more, again, explicitly through sex scenes, but also through the central sort of struggle and conflict of the film, um, their desire and longing for each other while separated. There are three key moments in the way he looks, which exemplifies the film's attitude toward labels. The first is the scene where Leo tells Giovanna that he's in love with Gabrielle. É que não é tão simples. Fala logo, Léo. Tem alguém por perto? Tá todo mundo bem longe. Acho que eu tô apaixonado pelo Gabriel. Oi. Como assim, apaixonado? <risos> apaixonado de namorado. Você não vai falar nada? What is interesting about the scene is the central issue is not Leo's queerness, but rather his and Giovanna's friendship. 
Giovanna had expressed interest in Gabrielle, and so Leo is worried about her reactions to his feelings, his desire, not his sexuality. Giovanna walks away, not because she's upset with him being gay or not coming out to her, a la Love, Simon, but because of her feelings towards Gabrielle. We also see a lack of concern with the labeling of sexuality and queerness in general on the part of adults in this film. Take the scene where Leo is talking to his mother. Leo's mom's use of the gender-neutral term someone and not girlfriend, as well as her lack of concern with biological children, speaks to how little sexual identity concerns her. For her, her biggest concern is that her son finds happiness and companionship and that he heals from his cold. Even, I'd argue, at the height of homophobia in this film, when uh, Leo and Gabrielle are being teased about potentially being gay by Leo's bully, we see a lack of real concern with queerness. After being teased, Leo confirms that this accusation is true and takes hold of Gabrielle's hand. Instead of continuing to tease them, the bully's friends instead turn on the bully, teasing him, signaling that they're not concerned with their relationship, but rather upsetting Leo, which is wrong for other reasons, but unrelated to his sexuality. The central conflict of this film is not, oh no, I'm gay, I have to come up, but rather the classic coming-of-age questions. Does the person I like like me back? Do I like them? How can I find independence? How should I navigate my friendships? and asks us to think about all of these questions through the eyes and experiences of a blind character. From beginning to end is similarly unconcerned with labels, both the label of gay and queerness, but also the label of incest. We see this on the boys' part when they're talking to Tomas's coach. They're comfortable being openly physically affectionate towards each other, one of them strokes the other's face, they laugh, they tease each other, as well as discussing their romantic jealousy and experiences as children. Let's take a look at this scene. In this scene, the boys are less concerned with their own displays of emotion and affection, or even the stigma around their relationship, and more with Ivan, the coach's comfort. We also see how their love and relationship is woven into jokes, speaking to a phenomenon we've discussed of the Brazilian nature of discussing serious topics in a joking way. I use this example because while it does show a slight effort to sort of uh, mask the relationship, it's clear in their body language and language language that they themselves are not concerned about their relationship nor other people's perceptions of it. We see another similar lack of concern about the homosexual nature of the relationship with their mom is talking to Pedro, Francisco's father. While the scene does reflect a concern over the incestuous nature of their relationship, again, 
They don't really seem concerned with the fact that it's queer, and we also see the mom unconcerned with either of these dynamics. Again, we see here the mom is really concerned with their happiness and making sure that they don't feel shame. Even still, the shame that they're discussing would be around incest, not queerness. We also see the mom express an openness and interest in engaging with her son's relationship without worries of labels when they're younger. The mother extends her openness and support of her children's relationship when talking to the eldest son, Francisco, on the couch one day. Do colégio? Não exatamente. Uma coisa sobre você, seu irmão. Sobre as coisas da vida. In this scene, we again see the mom um, not feeling concern or projecting shame or anger onto her son. Uh, she's talking to the eldest son in this scene, Francisco. Um, but rather an embrace of the ambiguity and space within their relationship and um, starting a conversation and um, creating a place for her son to talk to her about it if they choose to do so. Um, so this, again, is really removed from the idea of labeling or the shame around being queer. And then um, on a separate note, uh, the labeling and shame around being in an incestual relationship. We also see a similar comfort um, on the part of the parents with their relationship in both dynamics later when Francisco is having lunch with his father, who mentions that Francisco should feel comfortable talking to him about anything, that he felt it was time to leave the house, um, and similar themes to the other two sections that we've listened to today. The second theme I'm exploring today is how masculinity and queerness interact in both of these films. 
Both couples in the movie are white and middle class, as well as masculine presenting. While not hyper-masculine, they don't make quote-unquote feminine clothing choices, nor is there a particular masculine and feminine uh, partner in their relationships. Besides their queerness, they both fit into normative society. The only thing which would differentiate them is their love and physical affection for other men, which is then explained by their queerness. I want to clarify here, um, when I say masculine and feminine partners, I mean uh, in thinking of active and passive. Um, in addition, just adding that an initial um, reading of the main characters, uh, they would appear to fit into normative society. However, um, Leonardo's blindness uh, would place him outside of it. The commonalities in the masculine gender presentation of both couples calls back to themes discussed in Richard Parker's books, Beneath the Equator, Cultures of Desire, Male Homosexuality, and Emerging Gay Communities in Brazil. In the first chapter, Brazilian Homosexualities, Parker discusses how at first gayness, as outlined by Peter Fry, was classified not by the object of the individual's desire, but by the sexual role they played and how that translated to gender roles. The active partner was seen as masculine and therefore not stigmatized, However, the passive partner, the quote-unquote feminine partner, was stigmatized. Parker writes on page 31, I'm also going to be using the English translation of some Portuguese words. Um, he writes, what is perhaps most striking is that the individual's same-sex object choice seems to be, in some ways, rather less significant than his sexual role. Less significant, in other words, than the connection between anatomical and social gender as played out in terms of the calculus of activity and passivity. In light of this, it is hardly surprising the, the cultural emphasis has been on the problem of ensuring the activity of young boys as they grow and develop. In the turn of the 19th century, the country began to industrialize and urbanize, and there was a shift of the medical model of sexual classification, which focused on the Anglo-European idea of sexual object as the most important. Um, there was a push to sort people into bisexual, homosexual, and heterosexual. But this classification was mostly popular in the medical community and restricted to elites, and didn't really come to popular culture until the AIDS crisis, in which homosexuality was framed as both part of sexual variations and at times an act of deviance and abnormality. At the time of the book's publication in the 90s, new terms had emerged within what Parker refers to as the homoerotic homo subculture, and they brought in new identities which both played into and against the active-passive expectations and stereotypes, as well as creating a new catch-all term for individuals who were part of the homoerotic homo subculture of Entidido, which I definitely just mispronounced. I present this history as a background to um, perhaps explain the gender presentation of the characters in these two films. In both movies, the main characters are more masculine presenting, reflecting the continued preference for masculinity uh, in society. However, the fluidity of the gender roles within both relationships, with the interchanging of who takes on the active and passive role, who is the pursued, and who is doing the pursuing, reflects shifting ideas of gender roles beyond active-passive individuals both within and outside of queer communities. However, the fact that in both movies the main characters are masculine presenting suggests that perhaps this fluidity is only extended to 
uh, those aligned with the active role, at least in popular culture. Both of these movies are fantasy. They inhabit a space in which queerness, labels, and in the case of From Beginning to End, incest, are things that don't really need to be hidden and which are of little concerns to the lives of the characters. Instead, friendship, distance, and love take center stage and the larger national political discourse melts away. In some ways, refusing to map gender roles onto the lead and the focus on desire over labels rejects heteronormative ex expectations of movies and queer couples. At the same time, both movies feature models of queer love centered on white, masculine, conventionally attractive middle-class men, thus reinforcing societal standards and rejecting femininity. Both of these movies speak to what queer Brazilians want to communicate, as well as what brand of queerness is accepted and portrayed. To end this podcast, I want to focus a little bit just on my general thoughts on the movie and my recommendations. I really enjoyed the way he looks and highly recommend if you're looking for a sweet love story, um, which I also just think is a great example of queer love and youth and coming of age stories. I highly recommend it. From beginning to end, I don't know if I'd recommend, but if you want to think a little bit about how we perceive um, affection between young boys, um, how Freud may read the relationship, um, ethics around incest, uh, especially when children are not involved, um, then I recommend you give it a watch. Both movies also touch on important topics that I didn't have time to cover today. Um, and from beginning to end, we see some interesting class dynamics with their domestic worker eating with them, being treated um, seemingly as more of an equal. They call her by her name. She doesn't wear a uniform. She eats with them at the table. She talks with the parents um, and drinks wine with them. If you want to think more about um, what stories are told and the bodies which enable them, um, I think the way he looks uh, is an interesting perspective from a blind um, youth and what that means and how you go about exerting your independence when um, you do depend on some people for part of navigating the world. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Next week on Show She Examines Queer Media for Class, I'll be looking at how compilations created by queer youth about TV show characters and relationship allow queer youth to center love stories on themselves, create community, and find comfort and role models for relationships.